0: Thank you, Jesus. Good morning. Still morning. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Still morning. All right. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to get it started today. And then Hebrews chapter 11. We always enjoy Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll see, uh, see when we make it there. Thank you, Jesus. You guys ready? Father, we thank you for uh, for, for your awesomeness, for your spirit. And we, we thank you, God, that you are you. And there's no one like you. And there's no one as great as you. And Lord, that you are worth everything that we could do in this life for you. You're worthy of that. And you are worth our worship and our devotion. And you're worthy, Lord, of a undistracted, singularly devoted life. And in this church, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people that never forget about you. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people whose hearts are always aligned with yours. And I pray, Lord, that that you would be pleased, that you would be totally pleased with us when you see us, when you see the choices we make, when you see the desires in our hearts, when you see the things that we long for, the things that we value, the things that we strive for, that it would please you, oh God. Thank you. Help us today. Take over, God, in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's a sponsor service. Duncan is sponsoring us. I'm just, just kidding. Product placement. Product placement. <laughs> if only. Um, good morning. Luke chapter 10. Are you ready? The Duncan app by the way is my new favorite coffee app. You can find great deals every day, every day. Uh, did you know I got this for free? Oh, wow. Yes, 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 free matcha latte. In fact, any free, any cold frozen drink with any purchase, which can be a hash brown, a munchkin, no joke. Free, yes, yes, with any purchase, with any purchase. Any purchase, a side of ketchup, any purchase. It, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yes. Green and white is our, is our new, uh, anyways. Um, but so, so, uh, so anyways, so it's not sponsored, but I would joyfully recommend to you $1 coffee, which some of you have forgotten exists. Alrighty. Luke, chapter 10. That was, um, that was, that was distracting. Okay, all right, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Whoo! Thank you, Jesus. 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, well, well. I feel about once every six to 12 months we have to talk about this. There are certain things in life that it's really important for you to learn, for for all of us to learn as believers. And uh, in most cases, it's, it's, the earlier you can learn it, the better it is. Now, if you were to get it when you're 80 years old, that's still better than never getting it at all, <laughs> you understand. But, but, but if you can get it early, then, um, then it can shape the trajectory of your life and all the choices that you make. For instance, God is good. Now, it's not obvious sometimes to us that God is good. And the reason that it's not obvious to us is that sometimes we feel uh, that we are ignored by God. Anyone ever felt ignored by God? You feel like you pray and God doesn't answer. You feel like you do good things and God doesn't respond by blessing you. You feel like you're trying to do what is right, and yet things just don't work out in life. There's all sorts of things. And um, and it becomes challenging for us uh, to, believe that, um, to believe that God is good, but He is. Um, but despite the fact that God is good, and, and not really despite the fact that it actually works together, although we don't like it necessarily that way, God is good. But God is not reactionary. And sometimes, um, in order for us to believe something, um, uh, uh, happens like in the spirit, something that we cannot see. It has to be like sort of immediate. You know, I pray, and immediately I get an answer. Therefore, I believe that. You know, I got the answer because I prayed. Um, we, we only make these causal connections uh, if we can see the reaction. But God's not reactionary. You know, He's very patient. And it, that doesn't change the fact that He's good, it, but it it does change the way that we need to understand it, uh, our expectations, because um, otherwise we're just going to miss the fact that He's good, you know? So there's, there's a lot of things like that that are actually, it's a little bit trickier to learn than... Um, uh, than then maybe you're supposed. You would think that all Christians believe that God is good, but I, I think that most don't. Because I think that if, if if you did, then it would be easier for you to have faith. I think that if if you did, then um, it would be easier for you to live for him rather than living for other things. I think that, like, you know. So um, so it, I don't know that all Christians believe this. And and here's one that I, um, I'm quite enjoying this. very Very stable. And Emily doesn't like to share, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Emily loves to share. It's me who is the problem. So, um, uh, so, so it's sometimes some of the most basic things in life are actually um, fairly difficult for us to figure out. Here's one, and uh, and this one is just as difficult to figure out as the one that I just pointed out. Maybe even more so. The 72 have been sent out by Jesus to do all the things that Jesus asked them to do, heal the sick, the dead, cast out demons, cleanse uppers, and uh, they came back and, and shocked, utterly shocked that the demons are subject to them. Why are they shocked that the demons are subject to them? Because a power and authority like this has never been seen on earth. Uh, uh, of all the, um, the stories of miracles in the Bible, the, um, there's, there's one that is definitively New Testament-esque that doesn't really exist in the Old Testament, and that's casting out demons. Um, the prophets could heal the sick. They could raise the dead. They could cl- they could cleanse lepers. They could multiply food. They, Elijah made you know axe heads float. You know, Elijah called down fire from heaven. Like there are all sorts of, of miracles that um, that they did in the Old Testament. But but one that is very notably absent is casting out demons. There is no example of exorcism in the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, the closest example is David playing the the, the harp for Saul who was demented. And Saul felt a little bit better, but he didn't get rid of the demons. It wasn't like, it was just, you know, it was it was a Band-Aid at best. Um, it was not it was not a solution. It was a Band-Aid at best. Um, and casting out demons didn't exist, really, in, um, in, in the Old Testament. So when Jesus comes about, and he's able to cast out demons, um, and they're subject to him, and they come in like the man of the Gadarenes. I mean, they're, they're running to him and bowing down before him, presenting themselves. I mean, this is, you know, this is extraordinary. And so they're, they're starting to do all these miracles. And the, the, the 72, I mean, they've heard the stories of Elijah. They've heard the stories of Elisha. They've heard the stories of Moses. And so casting out, um, so raising the dead and healing the sick, I'm not going to say that that's normal to them because that's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but at least they have a grid for it, right? And what, but what's really surprising to them, what is, what, is, what is extraordinary, and I think will actually be extraordinary in our generation as well, if we can get a hold of it, is that, is that the demons were subject To them, in the name of Jesus. Now, um, you've probably noticed—I'm sure that you've uh, noticed—that there's um, that healing the sick, like today, uh, does not just mean people with a broken arm or with cancer or with hepatitis. Uh, The the types of sicknesses that um, that people have these days, from psychological, emotional, mental, um, have a lot to do with 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 spiritual matters and. And the reason that there is um, an epidemic of these things is not that people have psychologically changed drastically in the last you know ten to fifteen years. That that's not the reason. The reason is that spiritual realities are changing, and that that this you know the the, the other side um, has a lot more freedom and mobility and and access to people. And uh, we can talk a lot about why that is. In fact, we have. At um, members of satva, what that is. But, 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 um, but what, what they're talking about here is more needed today than it's ever been before. There's no advanced civilization that's not overrun by demons uh, on the earth. Do you know? And the humans have a partial solution for, I mean, not, it's not really, but they have a partial solution for diabetes and cancer and, and, and various other things. But there's no solution for being demon-possessed. Like, there, there's no, nothing a doctor can offer you to deal with being demon-possessed, do you know? And, and so this is wonderful, like that the demons are subject to us in Jesus' name. And it is absolutely the responsibility of, of you and I to walk in this type of authority and not to give up on it, right? It's incredible. So to them, this is an incredible miracle and it's an incredible type of power and they have it, right? And so, so they're coming back and, and, and the Bible says they come back with great joy. Now that's a good thing. Is joy a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? Joy is a good thing. In fact, it's an essential thing. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's really, really, really awesome that you have joy. Yeah? Okay. So they come back, and they're really happy. They're, they're full of joy that the demons are stuck to them in Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, this is incredible. This is amazing. Best day ever. I'm top of the world. All right. and, um, and Jesus, um, um, he does something that um, we're not supposed to do. He kind of bursts their bubble. Now, how many of you have ever been in a bubble, and somebody burst it for you? You know, like, wow, I just sang an awesome song. Yeah, it wasn't that awesome. I mean, it's just like, like, like I mean, you know, like, like, like be, having your bubble burst is not the best. It doesn't give you, like, it doesn't give you warm and fuzzy. So, you know, it, 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 it kind of like, you know, so, so, so they're filled with joy, right? They're excited. They're like, woo! they're on top of the mountain because demons are listening to them that's an incredible thing. That's an incredible thing. And so they come back and you would think that Jesus would pat them on the back and be, y'all did so good. Come on, let's, you know, go do something to celebrate. Like, you know, um, none of that. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scourge over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, very matter of fact, this is kind of like, this is a downer. You <laughs> know, it's kind of like very matter of fact. It's like, gay, but it's kind of a downer. Okay, nevertheless, and he says, okay, that's true. The demons are subject to you, you know, in my name. That's good. That's true. Nevertheless, nevertheless means you kind of missed the point. Nevertheless means, you know, like, (laughs) like, like he's not in full agreement with where you are, right? Nevertheless, okay, nevertheless. And here's the thing that's really quite important. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. But rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There are a lot of people that would like to tr- that would like to interpret this a little bit differently than what Jesus said. There are a lot of people that like would like to interpret this as rejoice the most that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven, and rejoice a little less that the demons are subject to in your name. Uh, you know, to to you in my name. But you should still rejoice that the demons are subject to you know you in my name. That's not what he said. He said first of all, do not rejoice in that. Well, that's a bummer you know because like it, imagine no seriously like that's kind of a bummer like imagine if you went out and you cast out you know 100 demons and you set people free and you know you went into this you know, the middle of this witchcraft camp and and you know and you just you just you know force pushed all the demons out you know and and um and 100 people got free and everybody gave their hearts to jesus and whoa it's a good day and and you were happy and you were glad, and you felt the momentum of the Holy Spirit upon your life, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And you went back and you reported to Jesus himself, and he said, don't be happy about that. It's not the same as saying, be happy, but be happier about this thing. That's not what he said. He said, don't be happy about that. That's not the right thing for you to rejoice about. Why not? What's wrong with being happy about something that is obviously good? Joy, as uh, any successful church movement in the history of the church will tell you, joy is the energy of the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual energy. In the same ways that calories are physical energy, joy is spiritual energy. If you don't have it, you're essentially dead on the inside. And if you have it, then you're just alive and and you could go through suffering, persecution, sickness, disease, famines. Like it doesn't like, you know, but if you have the joy inside, inside of you, like you're just like, woo, you're alive, you know? And just like it matters how you get your calories to fuel your physical body, it matters how you get your energy to fuel your spiritual body. Anybody that knows anything about nutrition would not say that that all calories are the same. Whole milk, brothers and sisters. Whole milk. Not organic. Whole milk with sugar. And like two drops of matcha powder. But it's free. Do you know? Okay. Anybody that knows anything about Nutrition would tell you that not all calories are the same. The calories that you get from cheeses are not the same as the calories that you get from oranges. They're not the same. They can both give you energy for your body for a certain time. But, but in the long run, or even the short run, quite frankly, like there are, there are drastic consequences to you from fueling yourself uh, based off of certain ways versus based off other ways. You know, like there are very drastic consequences to those things. It may not be obvious, like immediately what that is, but you go down that road a certain amount of time and it will be very obvious to you that there were big differences. And and in some cases, after a while, the, the consequences of those choices are irreversible. Yeah. In the spirit, it's the same thing. Now, these people were not joyful because they wanted some video game. Or their Bitcoin portfolio went up. Like, you understand. Like, they they were deriving joy from something that we would perceive as being good. Hello? Something that we would perceive as being good. And yet, he says, do not rejoice in this. Not like, have a little joy and have more joy over here. No, he says, "Do do not let your hearts be happy about this. Um... We remember when Saul died, David did not celebrate. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in Israel, he said. Everybody that did celebrate, David killed. <laughs> like, you know, like, like David ki- No, That's bizarre because David's supposed to be king. But he trained his heart, like he understood, like Dave, um, really, he understood the human heart and and what God expected out of the human heart much more than, I mean, you just read the Psalms, (laughs) like read his Psalms in particular. He understood what God expected from him uh, in his heart very well. And so when Saul died, he had trained his heart for a very long time to rejoice in the right things and to steward his heart well. And so when Saul died, even though that meant that it was a moment of promotion for him, that meant that the door was now open for him to actually walk into what it is that God had promised him, in that moment he did not rejoice. And he recognized that it would displease God if he did. He did not rejoice. How the mighty have fallen. You know? No songs, no dancing. He says, don't share the news in Gath. Like, don't let them even know that this has happened. A day of mourning for Israel. That type of maturity is like, it's bizarre. (laughs) It's bizarre, you know? Because what God wants is he wants our hearts to rejoice that we are going to heaven. Now, listen, there's nothing that excites Christians less than the fact that you're going to heaven. I have not ever found anything, like, a few years ago, I mean, now, see, I've, I've, I can't do it today because you've all, you're, you've been prepped. A few years ago, one day, I, t- I tried to do a test, and I was like, hey, everybody, we're going to heaven. I mean, I mean it was just like, I, if, if, if I had said that we were having, um, you know, uh, 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 ribs for dinner, <laughs> I'm, if I had said that Kanisha had made you know like mochi cupcakes, I would mean, be bouncing up and down the walls and be rejoicing and shouting and gladness and I, I mean people would be playing mute. There'd be a party. <laughs> we're going to have and just like cricket, cricket, <laughs> like okay. I, I, there's there's ser- seriously I'm, I I kid you not. It's difficult to find something that excites Christians less than the fact that you're going to heaven. Why? Because that's far off. That's not near here. You were happier to get you know, 15 extra minutes of, of Peppa Pig time. Not you. <laughs> Some Christians are happier to get 15 extra minutes of Peppa Pig time than that they're going to heaven. Some Christians would be happier to get a $10,000 raise this year. And that they're going to heaven some christians would be happier if their kids got into harvard than that they're going to heaven or that their kids are going to heaven that was everybody i ever knew growing up in church nothing excited the moms group at our chinese christian church as much that's when somebody's son got into college. And it didn't even matter really which one. I mean, Harvard's great, but like, you know, we could settle for less. <laughs> you know, University of Texas, woo! <laughs> University of Georgia, great football program. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, Duke, I mean, Duke is like, yeah, like you really made it if your son went to Duke. But what about, what about when we went to heaven? I'm, no, I, I'm, I kid you not, because like we had baptisms too. And I was like, oh, yay, you know, what a moving moment. Somebody cried a tear. Okay, let's move on with service. <laughs> it was just, but when, but when somebody got into college, I was like, like, you know, like, I mean, when we got, or, then we got really excited. <laughs> and we got really excited. The thing that you have joy in is the thing that you feed your spirit on. And if you feed your spirit on Cheez Its and Nachos, over time, it will do something to you. Do you know? Once in a while, you need a kale shake. <laughs> Just kidding about that. No kale shakes. Once in a while, you need to remind yourself that if you, don't, if you don't have, if the joy of eternal life is not enough joy to sustain you, you're in a lot of trouble in this life. A lot of trouble. If you need to be constantly catalyzed to be happy because there's another vacation, because there's another bubble tea, because there's another pad thai, because like because there's another something coming up in your life that is going to make you excited, there's something very deeply wrong with your spiritual diet. There's something deeply wrong with the way that your your inner man works that requires earthly catalyst to bring you joy on the inside. If do you see you can tell That eternal life is not, as Jesus said in John chapter 4, a river of life flowing up from inside of you. It's not that. If you need the stuff on the outside in order to make you happy, you know? As churches, we very often get used to celebrating and rejoicing in the things that God has not asked us to rejoice in. This sounds really harsh. It sounds harsh that we should say that we should not rejoice that... um, you know, somebody wrote a book and it sold a million copies or that we ran an outreach and a thousand people showed up or, that like, do you understand? Like, it sounds harsh that we we shouldn't, I mean, it might make more sense to say, you know, don't rejoice that your stocks went up. Don't rejoice that, you know, you got a problem. Because those just seem like you know, potential idols, you know, so maybe it makes sense that we, but, but it's, but Jesus wasn't pointing to something of that sort. Of course you shouldn't rejoice in that. He was pointing to something that seems very kingdom to us. In fact, let's be honest, it is very kingdom. It's not a bad thing for demons to leave. It's a very good thing for demons to leave. And it's just that even in that, even in that, even in that, if you feed yourself on that, in the long run, there's something that your spirit becomes corrupted by something. Even that, in the long run, your spirit becomes corrupted by something. And for whatever reason, it, it, this it, it's not um, intrinsically obvious to me. Like, it, like in, in the sense that if Jesus hadn't answered this question for us, and if you had just, you know, uh, uh, asked me to figure out for myself what it is that we are supposed to have joy in, it's not necessarily obvious that this would have been what I chose, you know? Uh like in other words like to me there's like there's nothing intrinsically that i can figure out that like why shouldn't i have joy that uh uh somebody got healed today why shouldn't i have joy that our church moves into not our church i mean we don't care but like you know that somebody else's church moves into a bigger building um uh, you know why shouldn't i have joy that um that somebody got a promotion why shouldn't i have joy that like you you understand like it's not it's not necessarily intuitive to me i'm maybe i'm maybe you're smarter than me but like I, it's not intuitive to me that those things are not good for us to feed ourselves on. just like frankly it's not intuitive to me that donuts shouldn't be a staple in your diet i mean, why not you know they're fluffy they look good it, it, it's the same way i mean you know like god there's a reason this verse is here There's a reason this story is told. It's because he is very concerned with the way that we steward the energy inside of us, with the way that we receive it. And it's important that we, honestly, you have to check yourself. It's not a bad idea to look back over your week and think about what gave me joy this week. It's, it's not a bad idea because if what got you joy is that you went out to dinner on Friday night and you saw your friends on Thursday, and like, like do you understand? Like, if, if you can tell that what gave you joy is, is, is not the stuff that, that God, like, did you ever think this week that, you know, oh, I'm going to heaven? Like, this is awesome. Like, you know, I belong to God. This is like, if that's not what gave you joy, there's something like deeply, profoundly, shockingly missing in us. And you you have to learn to pay attention to it early. Because um, the alternative, actually, is that success and anointing and gifting and fruitfulness is what brings you joy. And you spend a lifetime chasing it. And after having chased it for a lifetime, you realize that it doesn't actually give any lasting joy at all. When I was growing up, I, I joke about it, but I, it's such a big part of my life that it's not really... And for a lot of you, probably your experience too. Um, there's nothing that makes a tiger mom happier than the day their kids get into college, especially if it's a good college. Like, There's nothing that... I, I remember the day that I was accepted early action to MIT. And uh, it, 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 I remember the day. I mean, my mom, never, I've never seen her happier in my life. A miracle happened that day. We went out to eat at the restaurant that I took, Cheesecake Factory, obviously. So we went out to eat at the Cheesecake Factory, and she allowed me to get an appetizer. Do you, do you understand? You, I mean, if you know, you know. Do you understand? If you don't understand what I'm talking about, then okay, just pretend. Okay. I got to have a salad. I don't know why I ordered a salad, I should have gotten wings. It, it was, that was a mistake. But I got to order a Caesar salad, cheapest appetizer on the menu, I think. And, and then I got to have a burger, and I never had a three-course meal at the Cheesecake Factory in my life. Like, especially my mom, like, overseeing the check, no way, like, it's never going to happen. Okay. That's how you know my mom I mean, probably, honestly, never seen her so happy in my life. Um, and that was just the culture that I was that, that I was in. It was not my mom's fault. I mean, the, it was just the culture. It was just the it was just the culture, whether in church or out of church or everywhere you go that's what people focused on, you know, that, I mean, other people focused on who they were going to bring to prom, but like, but for our culture, it was, it was, you know, it was like winning math competitions, and winning debate tournaments, and getting perfect SAT scores, and, and, and then getting into college, and the joy of, of life, of family life, of church life, in fact, came from that. People's kids getting into college, and, and, and different achievements that different people's kids would have, and, and um, saying that we shouldn't have joy in those things seems silly because how could we say we shouldn't have joy in our family? How sh- can we say that we shouldn't have joy in our kids' accomplishment? How should we say that? And yet, that's exactly what, what he's saying. He, it, what, exactly what he's saying is don't have joy in these things that you're experiencing in this life, but tether your joy to the things of heaven and the promises that God has made to you of the age to come. That's exactly the, the, what it is that Jesus is teaching us, even though it's deeply uncomfortable, and to many people it would seem deeply unchristian. Can you imagine if we, this is why, I mean, I feel sick. I would not preach this at, if I were invited to some other church from time to time. It's not the first thing you pull out. Y'all are happy about the wrong things. Stop. <laughs> like I mean, it's just, your kids, you know, no, no, don't don't be happy about your kids. You know, your trucks, don't be happy about your trucks. Your houses, don't be happy about, I mean, it's not, but, but yet it's so It's so, it'll make your heart, it'll put your heart in the right place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, that if we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. You remember that verse? You love that verse? If you memorize that verse, you put it on your wall because I love this verse. If we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. He recognized, he understood. His joy was not that his churches were growing big or that miracles were happening by his hand. He recognized that if someone were to offer you a trade of all the kingdoms of the world, of a revival that would spread through all the nations, if someone were to offer you a trade of that for the next life, it should be so easy. So easy. You don't even think about it. It's, not, it's like not, without a second of thoughts, it should be obvious to you. that's that's not worth anything to me take the revival take the power take the anointing take the success take the career take the house take the family i want the promises of god for what is to come the age that is to come if that's not real to us there's something wrong with the way we understand christianity a while ago, I was listening to R.T. Kendall preach. I don't know if you um, knew R.T. Kendall. is. He's, he's just a, a phenomenal man of God. He was the pastor of, of uh, Westminster Abbey for 25 years, which is um, perhaps the most famous church in the world. Um, and... Um, uh, was there after uh, martin lloyd jones which um you know is a very difficult <laughs> very difficult act to follow um uh if you know but anyways <laughs> and he's a very he's a wonderful preacher and a wonderful man of god and just humble and a good guy and and um, and he said something um that um that was uh, very difficult um for me so um he, he said um uh, suppose that god took you to heaven like that, that when you died god um that you were standing in front of heaven and 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 god said to you um why should i let you in what would you say and I immediately thought, I'm, I'm confessing my sins to you now, okay? So now afterwards, you have to confess your sins to one another, because the Bible says confess your sins to one another. Okay, all right. So I'm confessing my, confessing my sins to you now, all right. And and so what would you say? And I immediately thought, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm to say, okay, God, I live for you. I said, God, I live for you. Like like, I tried, and I didn't do everything well, but I, you know, I, I I tried, and I tried to offer you my time, and I tried to offer you my energy, I tried to offer you my family, I tried to offer you my money, I tried to offer you, you know, I, I I tried, you know, that's, that's what I thought, and this is obviously, it's happening instantaneously, pause for like three seconds, and, and then he said, and he said, okay, and so everybody has an answer, and he said, if your answer was anything other than God, there's no reason, but I plead the blood of Jesus, then you're not a Christian. And then I was convicted, and then I had to repent, and then I'd get saved again. And this was like two weeks ago. <laughs> like You know, this wasn't like 10 years ago. This was, like, this was like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, Lord, I repent. But it's, it's very easy, actually, to get through life. And I mean, it, it was one of those, it was like, this is a trick question. But then you know it's not a trick question. It actually, re- it does reveal something about what's going on in your heart, you know? It really does. It does. Re- I like to just pretend that it was a trick question. It doesn't matter. But it really does reveal something else you know, going on in your heart. And so, in that moment, I mean, I kid you not. I think I was in my car. I was like, I was like, oh God, I repent. I honestly, I got saved again that day. Like it was just I was like, you, I gave you my life was It's like I don't know what I've been doing. Like you know, this is like, Give me, and, and but there are things of that sort, and they may seem reasonable and understandable why you might slip into you know one line of thinking or another line of thinking over time. It may seem reasonable why the way that the things that are important to you and the things that you think could change over time. It may seem reasonable, but it's still wrong. There are still things that are true, that God has determined to be true, and that we as Christians have the responsibility to hold to those things and to not allow them to change. And this is one of those things. Our joy must be what is to come in the next life, not in the things that we can accomplish here and now. And if we cannot establish that definitively in this life, then God actually accomplishing his promises and his purposes in us would be a curse and not a blessing and would be a great risk to us. It is only safe for God to use us if our joy does not come from him using us. It is only safe for God to give us fruitfulness if our joy does not come from that fruitfulness. It is only safe for God to give us marriage and family and food and friends and houses and cars and kids if our joy does not come from those things. And yet it is so easy for our joy to come from those things. In Hebrews chapter 11, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham. 17, by faith Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who would receive the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Hello. God had promised to Abraham a nation. God, furthermore, had promised that Abraham would receive the promise of being a nation through Isaac. And so when God then asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, what was it that God was testing Abraham in? The question is, what is more important to you? The things that you can receive from God in this life... And the promises that He has made to you. I'm not talking about your own dreams. I'm not talking about your own desires. I'm not talking about the foolish things, silly things that we all want because we're humans. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things that God Himself has promised to you and I. The gifts that He has given you. The dreams that He has given you. The promises that He has given you. The prophecies that He has spoken over you. I'm talking about the good stuff. Make any sense? Okay, the good stuff. And the test before Abraham is, Abraham, do you prefer me or do you prefer the good stuff? Not the bad stuff. The test is not the bad stuff. The test is the good stuff. Could God's promises distract you from loving God? Could God's blessings love you? Distract you from loving God? Could d- d- <laughs> hard? Because it, 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 I'm not. It's not a criticism of of other church communities, you understand. But the, the problem is that there are so many places you go. For instance, the places that call themselves prophetic communities, do you know, where it's all about words and promises and dreams and visions. And it's, it's hard to tell people those things are all good, but we've forgotten that this is actually about eternal life in the next age. It's not about the dreams and the promises and the desires and the words and the giftings and the, the inheritances and all the stuff that we could have here and now. It, 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 in fact, it shouldn't, our hearts should not be attached to that at all. Um, and the test for Abraham here, is, is he willing to give up the promise of God in order to receive the promise Are you willing to give up the promises of God as a condition to receiving the promises of God? Before God gives you what it is he's promised to you, would you give it back to him? And, and that's the condition for receiving it, you understand? Like, that's the condition for receiving it. The, con- the, con- the only way God can give it to you is if you can be assured that it's not going to ruin you. The only way you can do that is to give it back before you even get it. Do you know? Isaac is a young man, hasn't had a baby. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's no family line here. <laughs> there's, there's no family line here. The promise has not been fulfilled. And God says, give him back to me. And I don't know what Abraham's thinking. Like, God, did you change your mind? Like, are we doing this? I mean, I I don't under like. Do you know? I don't know. Has that ever, like happened to you? It's like something happens in your life, and that thing that happens in your life feels like the fulfillment of God's promises over you. And then He asks you to give it up, or then it's taken from you, and then God says, "How do you feel now?" and and the, seriously the the human it, it's no seriously i i, I no joke I, it, and sometimes it's really serious like like you're engaged to somebody and you're and you're totally in love and god says you can't marry them <laughs> or they die tragically it, uh, that's really bad. Sorry. I mean, it's that's like a Korean drama, Like you know, it, or 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 no, seriously. Or it's like you know, you're gonna go. God has told you you're gonna be a doctor, and and you get a job at this hospital, and the hospital says, "Sorry, you know, we don't have room in our industry to hire you," and, and all the other posts have been filled, and now you don't have a job. Like, has it I mean, ever happened to you where it's like it's like the moment you are actually begin walking in the direction that you feel like God has led you, the direction your heart wants to go, and you feel oh so fulfilled. God says, "Actually, I'm gonna take that back, and just see." See if maybe your heart is in the right place or not, and then you're just like, "Why, well, God? Why did you? Why, why test me? Like, like, why? Why did you give it to me in the first place? Like, you know, you're testing me." Yes, He is testing you. Actually, that's exactly what the Bible says. God tested Abraham and asked him to offer up Isaac. He tested him. That's the whole reason. God is very happy to test us. We're not that happy to be tested. God is very happy to test us. You know. I mean, no kidding, like, like, it's rough, y'all. And it's not because he doesn't intend to fulfill his promises. It's that he needs to fulfill his promises in such a way that our joy still flows from the right river. Like, it's still that river of life that gives us joy, not some other river, not the river of success, not the river of influence, not the river of wit- riches. Like, you, like it's, it's very important and so we experience these moments. It's like, promise fulfilled, promise denied. <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, no, I'm serious. It's uh, promise, promise denied. <laughs> like, it's just like, like, God, what is wrong in my life? Is it the devil? Is it persecution? Is it opposition? No, he is testing you the same way that Abraham was tested. And in the long run, it is the intention of God to fulfill his promises. In the short run, it is the desire of God to make sure that your joy is secured in the right place. So that even if I am deported, I live for eternal life. So that even if I am bankrupt, I live for eternal life. So that even if I die of cancer, I live for eternal life. So even if I, you know, whatever, you know, never convert a thousand people, never start this orphanage, never start the prison ministry, never get a job as a software engineer, that my joy is in eternal life. It's not in the fact that I'm doing miracles that nobody's ever done before. It's in eternal life. And this is not some like, crazy like, you know, thought exercise. You and I right now in this moment can choose to have joy in heaven rather than joy here and now. And it's hard to say that you should not have joy in certain things that are obviously things that humans are happy about. And yet, that's the commandment. Do not rejoice in these things. Rejoice that your name is is written in his book in heaven. Honestly, it's hard to not be happy about the things that I can hold and taste and enjoy. And then to be happy about things that I've never never seen. I was thinking about this this morning, and I was like, God, you know the problem here is that I've never seen heaven before. I don't know anyone who has, credibly, I mean, there are people that say things, but, like, you know, like, credibly. It's hard. But my latte, it's right here, you know? If the air conditioning, oh, that's right here. I mean, today. Last time, it wasn't. In this room, I'm glad they fixed it. I'm, I mean, the air conditioning, I mean, it's just like, whoo- like, oh, I don't know if you've been outside recently and it's hot and humid and ridiculous and then you step into the air conditioning and you're like, glory to Jesus. And you see, even that, your heart. Even that, my heart. In order for God to really accomplish his promises in us, he has to be able to take us on a journey that's different from the one we imagine ourselves going on. There's not a single human being in this room today that if God did everything you thought today, sitting here, everything that you imagine your life is going to look like in the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, if God actually led you down that road that you're imagining right now, when you get to the end of your life, you'll feel like a failure. 100%. 100%. Do you remember when you were young and you wanted to get into Harvard and then you got in? Did you feel like, no, you didn't? You're like, this sucks. <laughs> My dorm is old, the school is expensive, the pieces are hard. Like, you're not like, whoa, now I've arrived. Now, economists actually talk about this problem. Like, in, in, like, when you buy a new car, for instance, right? The, the happiest day with that car is the day where you drive it off the lot. That's the happiest day. After that, like, and you may have dreamed of buying that car for a long time. You may have saved up years of your life, invested into it. But let's be honest. The moment it's off the lot, it's like immediately the happiness is And then you begin to think, years of maintenance, years of gas, years of insurance. Where am I going to park it? Oh, somebody scratched it. Somebody opened the door too hard next to me to the supermarket and they dented it. I mean, the joy immediately. It's like the all, it's, it's that. There's a lot of things that we think would give us joy now. If God gave us survival, if he raised the dead, if he healed the sick, and if he saved millions, the fact... Honestly, let's be real. None of those things provide lasting joy. Large campaigns, revivals, churches everywhere, people getting saved even. These things that are good things, their joy is not lasting. It's like eating Cheez-Its and nachos. It's like getting full off of things that don't actually feed you. That's not the bread. The bread is eternal life. It's not intuitive to us. Because there's something about us that we think more highly of our dreams than we ought. We think more highly of the things that we hope in than we ought. We expect too much of them. Ask married people whether they expected too much of their marriage before they walked into it. We expect too much and we put too great a burden of hope on those things that God has not given us to rejoice in that there are things that will never fail us, the name of Jesus and the life that is to come. And it's on us, it's a responsibility to, to steward, just like it's a responsibility to steward your diet, just like you're always thinking about what did I eat last and what am I going to eat next. You know, like It's a responsibility to steward our spiritual diet as well. It's a responsibility for you to steward what is going on in your heart and what you're hoping in and what you're thinking of. And whenever this happens to you, that God it feels like he's giving you something and then taking it back, or he feels like he's giving you something and then asking you to give it up, like whenever that begins to happen to you, that's not because God neglects you, he hates you, the devil's against you, you're being persecuted, spiritual warfare, I mean sometimes yes, but very often no, very often it's just a test to see whether your joy is in the right place or not. And it's important that your joy be in the right place. It's really important. One of my favorite stories of a, of, a, of a Chinese man about 100 years ago, almost exactly 100 years ago, I think it was in 1928, he was a young man studying for the ministry and desiring to give his life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you this story, which you all have heard before, but if you're a visitor, maybe you haven't heard it before. I think it was in 1928. He was part of a, a, a really one of the early Chinese um, cells um, for evangelism. And they were going around and preaching the gospel to, to different places and forming a Christian community. And one day he was in the courtyard of uh, the area where the, the house where he was um, uh, living in with a bunch of other young men. And he was praying one morning. And um, he saw a map. Of, as he was praying there, he saw a vision, an uh, open vision. And in the vision it was a map of China. And, and he saw the map of China and he saw where he was on that map. God showed him where he was on that map. And it showed him a, a road going um, going westward out of china and after he got got in the vision that morning he was a, he was a young man he understood that the, the that the lord had called him to take the gospel out of china westward um back to jerusalem towards 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 jerusalem he understood that that was the will of god for his life and uh and so he began immediately to arrange his affairs to fulfill the calling of god that was upon his life and um he uh, uh um uh, went to seminary and, and got married and, and, and found a few other people that shared this calling. It took them a few years um, to, to, to get everything ready. And then they were just going to go. And they were going to make it, um, uh, uh, they were going to cross the, the border into Kazakhstan. And they were going to go and they were going to keep going as, as, as far as they could. And, um, and so they, they, they set off, they s- said goodbye to mom and dad and everything they knew and their family and, and everybody else and, um, and set off to go. And uh, and and as they were going, this was um, now the 1930s. Um, They didn't have any money. They didn't have there were no there were no trains. There were no planes. There were no it was very difficult for them to actually get there. And so they set off on foot. Um, and, and they walked, and uh, they slept on the side of roads, and whenever they could catch a ride on a wagon or on a pony, they, they, they did that. But it was very, very slow going. And along the way, they preached the gospel to different villages. They went along, and they were, I mean, poor and broke and, and, and had nothing more than what they carry on their back. But as a band of young people, they were determined they were going to get out of China if it cost them their lives because that was the call of God upon them. And years went by, and they walked about 2,500 miles on foot to get to the border of China, the uh, Himalayas on the western side. Um, those of you that know the geography of China, you know that most of it's, it's desert. Um, very uh, uh, um, very few people, and it's a very difficult going. But they got there mostly on foot, and it took them years to get there. As they got there, it's now the early 1940s, wars have broken out in China, and China is in the middle of World War II. And um, and when they get to the border, um, the communists are, have taken over China and are sweeping um, uh, eastward to take the country, and um, the border. Just as they get there, the border is sealed by the communists. And as they are trying to cross the border, they are arrested by the communists and um, accused of being spies. That was the reason they, the communists thought that was the reason they were trying to get out of China, and so they were arrested by the communists. They were accused of being spies, and everybody in the band was split up and sent to concentration camps. The young man's wife, his name is Simon, uh, was pregnant at the time, and. He and his wife were separated. She was sent off to a women's camp, and he never saw her again. He was thrown into a heavy labor camp, and he was sentenced to something like 30 years in prison of just hard labor. And so he's in prison. And every day, it's a long day's worth of work, and then usually at night, it's persecution. In those days, in Chinese prisons... Uh, if you were caught for being a counter revolutionary or a, um, a, a a rebel of some sort in this case a religious uh, or a, a political enemy of the state, um, the other prisoners were rewarded for persecuting you and so if they kicked you or beat you if they beat you hard and could make you bleed then the guards would reward them with extra food and so he like many other early Chinese church leaders were very greatly persecuted very greatly persecuted in prison and so Every day he would get up and he would pray and and ask God for strength. And he would look out the window towards the West, dreaming of the day that he would go and fulfill the calling of God upon his life. And the years just rolled by. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. When he gets to the point at which he's about to be released, the communists just arbitrarily extended his prison sentence And they would just give him five more years and the five more years and the five more years and the five more years until eventually, I think he was sentenced to 55 years in prison. And in prison, a lifetime went by. An entire lifetime. He went from being a young man to an old man. An entire lifetime just flew by. And soon he's in his 80s and he's still in prison, hard labor by day, beatings by night, persecution, looking out his jail cell towards the West, dreaming of the day that he would carry the gospel outside the borders of China because that was what God had asked him to do when he was in his 20s. But now he's in his 80s. And he hasn't fulfilled the calling yet. And he's stuck in prison. One day after, I think, 44 years of prison or 45 years of prison, something like that, He's called to the prison warden's office, and he's dreading it because he knows, oh, they're going to give me five more years, and to suffer five more years. And At this point, he needs to live to be 95, you know, in order to get out of prison. So he's like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Like, how, am I going to to live that long? And he's just very concerned about himself, that he's not going to fulfill the command of God on his life. And he gets to the prison warden's office, and the warden said um, to him, uh, he said, Simon, you are a terrible person. But the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China has decided to have mercy on you. We are releasing you. And that day, suddenly, after about 45 years in prison, he was released. Now this story is very difficult for me because it, it is impossible for us to imagine what it is like. You're in your 80s. You got into prison when you are in your late 30s or early 40s. Everyone you've ever known is dead. You have nothing. You have no contacts, no friends, you have nobody. You have no money. And they, they give you nothing. And they kick you out of the prison door, and they say, go, have a nice life, you know? And so he gets out of the prison door, and he sees roads, and he sees cars, and he's never seen these things before. So they didn't exist in China when he went into prison. And he has nowhere to go, and nobody to call, and nobody that he knows. And so he's near um, he's near Xinjiang, and, and, and so he... he crosses the road to the other side of the street from the gate of the prison and he just sits there under a tree because he has nowhere to go. He has nothing to do. And he sits under the road and he has no food and he has nothing. And he just just prays and ask God what he should do. And he's just sitting there day and night for a long time. I don't know how long it is. And eventually he feels like, well, there's nothing here. So he walked into the city. He walked into the city where he was arrested. And um, the city is completely different. There's skyscrapers. There's cars. There's paved roads. There's cafes. There's like the entire way of life, everything has changed. He doesn't recognize this world at all. And he sits on the street as a beggar on the streets because he just has nothing. And people feed him their scraps until one day, a group of Christian young ladies finds him on the street and they bring him, as you are supposed to do, uh, into their home to, to care for him because he's just the local beggar. After making it into their home, uh, they get to know him and realize that he's a believer just like them and begins to hear his story and how he's been in prison for, uh, for, for over four decades and, 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 and how he's just kept the faith the whole time and he has nobody and nothing and, and nothing like that. And, and Well, it's, it's an extraordinary story. And so the story begins to make its way around the Chinese underground church circles. And eventually, the leaders of the Chinese underground ch- at church at that time were in Henan, which is, if you know the geography of China, is not to the east, it's to the west. It's to the west of China, about, um, I think, 1,500 miles or so to the west. Um, and the leaders of, of the underground Chinese church movement heard about this old guy named Simon that had been found in Xinjiang by these believers, and 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 they were um, amazed because they knew Simon's story. Because there were people that Simon had grown up with when he was a young man went to seminary with that were t- had told the stories of, of this vision to take the gospel out of China back to Jerusalem, and they, they, they didn't go. They weren't the ones that went, but they remembered the vision. They remember sending them, they remember you know, sending them off. And so they told the stories to the next generations to, to continue the vision in the hearts of the people. And so these young church leaders knew the story and they thought that those people died, they never, nobody had ever heard from them again. And so when they, when they heard that Simon was alive, um, they sent, um, uh, you may know who he is, Peter Shue's. Um, uh, younger sister um, who a, was a great leader in her own right. She lives in the States now. She's, she's an old woman. She lives in the States now. But um, when she was young I and mean, they sent her to, to, to go to Xinjiang to get Simon. And, and she went and, and she pleaded with him. She said, please come back and train us. Please speak to us. Please impart to us and share with us about the vision that God has given you to take the gospel out. And Simon said, no way, cannot do. I've spent my entire life to get this far. The, 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 the mandate of God for my life is to get over um, the border I just need to get over the border. I will die happy. If I could just get to the border and share the gospel with one person, I would die happy. I will know that I've accomplished the will of God for my life. And she so would not go. Then she stayed there and, and just persisted. You know? And you know how women can be persistent. And so she stayed there and she persisted. And she would not let him go. And she would not leave. And, and she'd be like, you have no passport. How are you going to go? And he's like, you're right. You know? And she's like, you have no money. How are you going to go? He's like, you're right. And he's like, we have nobody over there. Who can help you? He's like, you're right. He's like, you don't even speak the language. And so eventually, she wore him down. And he was like, fine, I'll go for a brief visit. But I'm coming right back. You know, I'll go for a brief visit. And so she got him on the train, and they, the underground church had no money. And so he slept you know, on, on the floor of this, of this train car for you know three or four days to, to get to Henan. And so you get to Henan, and, and the, the, the young believers, Brother Yun was there, and Peter Xu was there, and, and uh, I don't know if you know, the, uh, the uh, last generation of Chinese church leaders were, but they, they're, they're all there. And they listened to this story of this incredible vision to take the gospel out of China, and it changed them. Because they were at uh, until that time very consumed with how to reach China. It's a big country. How are you going to reach China? How are you going to organize it? And they said the will of God is not just for us to reach China, but it's for even before we reach China to begin sending missionaries further east to take the gospel eastward. Uh, sorry, westward, not eastward, westward. And um, and and they were filled with a vision, and they, they begged him to stay, and they were like, okay, just you know, stay with us. And, and eventually they got him to agree to stay. And, and they raised up a group of, of young missionaries to fulfill the vision that Simon, um, that Simon had, had received a hundred years ago, about a hundred years ago. And so in 1996, Simon trained the first group of, I think it was 28 missionaries, and they went over the border, some went over the border, um, many went over the border to Nepal, and some went over the border to Kazakhstan. Um, and th- I think this was in August or September of 1996, and Simon died that year in, uh, I think it was November a few months later, and he died never having personally accomplished what it is that God gave him to do in his 20s, but having sent many more to do what God gave him to do. That story, to many, it's a very different story than what most of us in the West think of when we think about accomplishing our dreams. We do not think of of rotting away in a jail cell for 45 years, waiting for the right time for God to send other people instead of us to do what he gave us to do. That's not what we dream of. And if we insist that God does things our way, it'll never work, never happen that way. And for that reason, if you feed yourself on your own dreams and your own will and your own desires and your own expectations, eventually your joy will die, your spirit will die, everything will die. And that's why if one day you or I are living in a jail cell, you know, waiting for the gospel to be fulfilled. It is essential that we learn it now. Our joy is in the life to come, not in the place where we are now, not in the glory of our career, not in the greatness of our influence, not in the greatness of our riches or the peace and the security that we feel, not in those things, but in the joy of the life to come, not even in fulfilling the things that God, we think that God wants for us. There's one thing I can guarantee you. If we stay close to God, none of our lives will turn out the way that we expect them to now. 100% guaranteed there's not a single person in this room that has imagined, correctly imagined, even if you are prophetic, even if God speaks to you, there's not a single person that has correctly imagined in any sort of detailed way the way that your life will turn out. Guaranteed. Question is, can you stay close to God? And the only way to do it is if you derive your joy from the things that he wants you to derive your joy from and also simultaneously not derive joy from the things that he has not asked you to derive joy from. The day may come where some of you have a best-selling album or a million people listen to your song or your sermon or you give a million dollars to a charity or, or, or build up an orphanage or raise 10 people from the dead. That day may come. And the test is, will your heart still have joy in the fact that your name is written in the book of life, not in what you've just done, not in what it is you've just seen by the power of God. You can do it now. That's dead. Alrighty. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you guys can you know what to do. If you've been with us for a long time, you know that you've already done this, but but it just is a good idea. It's just a good idea to check your heart over and over again, because every few months, every few weeks, we as humans we tend to we tend to grab on to other things. So as the band um, plays. A little bit more here. I just want to ask you to spend a few minutes for God, and just wonder whether there is an Isaac in your life that is good, not bad, it's good, whether there is an Isaac in your life that is difficult for you to put on the altar. Is there A promise, an anointing, a calling, a grace, a dream, a hope, a trust. It may be from God. It may be exactly what feels right in your walk with God. But is there one of those things that is still in your heart? Away from the joy of life. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit for your help this morning in making heaven real to us. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit for your conviction this morning to reveal anything in us and in our desires that isn't totally aligned with you. Holy Spirit, we ask humbly for your help. We don't want joy over the things that are temporal. We don't want joy over how great we could become. We don't want joy at how many people may listen to us, how much influence we may have, how much money we could give away, how many programs we could run, how our families would do well, how our kids would make us proud. We don't want joy over the vacation house. We don't want joy over the promotion. We don't want joy over these things. We do not want to choose, Lord, to rejoice in the things. that we're not supposed to rejoice. But we want to feed ourselves. We want to feed our spirits the things that you've given to us. help us, Holy Spirit, because we need it. Father, I pray that nobody would be distracted in this place. Access the deepest place inside us, Lord. Sanctify our hopes, sanctify our dreams, sanctify our longings and our desires. Don't let us walk out of here without being changed by you. Don't let us walk out of here, Lord, without a touch from you this morning. Don't let us walk out of here, God, right before you if we haven't said it yet today Lord thank you for the cross thank you for the hope of life eternal thank you for making a way for us thank you for making a home for us Thank you for your blood that was spilled. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you, Lord, that you chose us long before we chose you. Thank you, Lord, that not a single person in this room can take credit for finding you. Themselves. Thank you for giving us purpose and meaning of this life. And thank you, God, for caring about us enough to not allow us to drown under earthly hopes and earthly dreams. And now, Lord, I pray, as much as we pray that we would not idolize good things, we pray, Lord, that you would find a church here so pure, so upright, so anchored and connected and intimate to you, that you could, in fact, accomplish all of your desires, the fullness of your will in us, that you would clean us and mature us and mold us and change us until you could use us fully for your purposes. And I pray, Lord, that you would not let go, that you would not stop convicting us, working on us, until we are perfectly suitable for what you've created us for. If there's anyone in this room that is disappointed because we think that we've been denied certain dreams or certain hopes, Father, we pray that you would bring us out of discouragement and disappointments this morning and help us to see that you are good and you are great and you are able to accomplish everything that you've promised us. If there is anyone, God, whose discouragement is a sign, is evidence that our joy is not in the right place, and I just pray, Lord, for conviction, genuine, merciful conviction to come upon our hearts. Illuminate the things in us that you've put a finger on and allow us, God, to not walk out of this place without being changed in those areas in our life. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to do this work. We thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come and work in us, Lord.